Sometimes in life we just suffer. Sometimes it's from being totally withdrawn. Or so much stress that we are totally anxious. Or so tired that we are totally burnt out. But our current position is not our final destination. No, indeed. There's hope. So whether it's your personal life, your career, your relationship, your business, or your job, we say there's reason to believe again. And we present from Andy's personal development, the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness, and prosperity. Stay tuned for more. Okay, great. So we are live in the breakout room, and this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development. We have a special guest with us. And we're about to welcome him into the studio and into the program so that he can join us in the conversation. In the meantime, you can see his face and he's all excited. And I'll just tell you a little bit about this gentleman. His name is Walt Morgan, and he's a transformational leadership coach. Briefly, he says, since I was five, I wanted to fly helicopters. So I did. He was in the Navy, the U.S. Navy, for 23 years as a designated helicopter pilot. And he used the scientific propulsion of the helicopter getting off the ground to incorporate it into the name of the work that he does. But that's just me speaking. Let us welcome Walt into the breakout room and let him tell us more about himself and his coaching practice, what he has done so far. Welcome, Walt Morgan. How are you today, sir? Andy, I am really well today, and it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm such a fan of the really thoughtful way in which you approach your conversations and your dialogues and how you just open this this um, just really wonderful connection with your with your guests and how the conversation unfolds. So I'm so curious to, to see how our conversation our unfolds conversation. today. Mm, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Walt. I received that. Thank you so very much. And thank you for being with us. I really wanna go back to the early days when you decided you wanted to fly a helicopter. Okay. What was so fascinating about that that you actually told yourself someday when I grew up, I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah, so it's pretty simple, really. There was, um, I was in my kindergarten class, and my kindergarten teacher, Miss Burka, asked us to draw what it was that we wanted to do when we grew up, and then she helped us put words to that. So I drew a picture of a helicopter. I was aged five. And, and she helped me write, although she, I noticed that she indulged my misspellings, but she helped me write when I grow up, I want to be a helicopter pilot, age five. And so that picture is still hanging on the wall of my childhood room on a ranch 
in Oregon. So it's, it's still there. And maybe, you know, maybe it was just a standard uh, vision, standard kind of just like dream for any kid, unremarkable. I could have said firefighter, it didn't matter. But somehow that created something in my life, right? Like that, that awakened a vision, it awakened a possibility for me, you know, at age five. Yeah. And you showed a hearty and a live passion for it. How did you spend your teenage years growing into teen and adult? Did that same fire, that same desire, that same passion still alive with you? Because I know that you have had many distractions, the stuff that young people want to do, the boys that you need to hang out with, the social sessions, maybe nightclubs, I don't know. But how was that period of growing up with the transition from that desire to teens and then to teen adult age? Yeah, I, I think you're giving me way too cre- too much credit <laughs> for my social capabilities as a teen. Um, it wasn't that. Actually, I did grow up on a ranch and it was a lot of hard work. Uh-huh. And and not necessarily, you know, some people can have that same experience and they'll say, oh man, I love the hard work. That was such a wonderful experience um, that changed my life and it taught me the value of hard work and all that. For me, it's like, I don't really like this. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting up at five and doing work and I'm coming home from school and doing work and that's how I spend my weekends. Well, the, anyway, you get the idea. I was working hard on a ranch. That's, that's something that happens. It didn't leave a lot of time for social opportunity. I mean, I played uh-huh. some sports and did that. Um, but mostly I just worked on a ranch and I was in a small town. I was in a small town of uh, less than a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And the town was two things at once. In, in, on one hand, it was a place that attracted some really remarkable, accomplished, and visionary people. And on the other side of, of it, it was a town that was collapsing um, following the automation of the timber industry. And it was a tough town and it was turning to, to drugs. Um, there were only 30 people in my graduating class from high school. Um, more than six of them are dead already. Some of them, at least two of them were beaten to death, right? So I came from a tough place um, and I never felt connected there. Like I couldn't uh-huh. wait to get out of there. And now I do feel a deep connection to it as an adult, and and I love to go back mm-hmm. and visit my mom on the ranch and to be there. But at the time, I had a real longing to leave the small town, the small rural and logging town in Oregon, and do something else. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Walt. I can hear the passion in your voice. I can see the reflective memories coming back to your mind as you spoke. So I know that it really meant something special to you. Between that time and the time that you decided to get into the U.S. Navy, what are some of the things that you would have learned? Because you saw many things. Some may have been trauma. Some may have been disappointing. But you merely, you you certainly did not like the idea of having to get up at that hour and do the work. It was tough. And you wanted to get out. But you stayed. What are some of the lessons that you learned that led up to the point where you decided 
I'm going to get into the U.S. Navy. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't stay, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's something that, so as I approached um, my 18th, when, when I was a late teen, you know, but when I was approaching that age where I was old enough to leave home, yeah. um, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. So, you, you know, you talk about what I learned. That was a profound event, and I don't think I realized what I learned from that for a few more decades, right? Yeah. That was just something that I was having to process and go through. And mm -hmm. I made an unusual decision around that, which was to, to leave. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't have to. I had other options. Yeah. But what I chose to do was to leave home and go to college out of state. So okay. that was you know, I, I, and I still don't fully understand that choice and it doesn't matter. You know, it, yeah, it just yeah. was, I was very close with my family, my mom, my dad, and my sibling. So it wasn't a sense of needing to abandon the family. And, and I also think that, you know, in my dad's last year of life, it might've been actually useful and comforting for him to, to just be with his wife and to mm -hmm. have an empty nest and to have, you know, a, a, a kid off in college and another who was, was already a teacher. I don't yeah. know. Um, but, you know, the loss of a parent is profound for us at any age. At age 19, it's, I, I would, you know, I would suggest that for me it was particularly so. Wow. Um, so, I, but the, the journey to, because remember, I was really kind of focused on getting out of this small town in Oregon. Yeah. It felt important to go do something else. So... I was able to get a Navy scholarship to do that. And essentially this Navy scholarship would pay for my college wherever I chose to go pretty much, wherever I could get into at least. And so um, I was initially able to get into Purdue University. I spent two years there. Uh, it didn't feel like a great fit. And I was driving home to Oregon and passing through Boulder, Colorado. And, um, and, stopped in Boulder. There's a university there. I'm like, man, people get to go to school in Boulder, Colorado. So I transferred my scholarship to Boulder and spent the next number of years there completing my education. Um, it's where I live now. I'm, yeah. I'm back in Boulder and I teach at the university now. Um, but that was, that was me getting out of home. It was just this need to be somewhere else to experience something else. And mm. in the Navy, by granting me that scholarship allowed me to to do that and i'm, I'm so so grateful to the navy and to the taxpayers that supported <laughs> that 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 teenagers dream to expand into something different and and maybe even bigger than it could have been in that small town but maybe not all right thank you for sharing Walt. i really appreciate your honesty and your openness I want to look at some information with regards to the fact that you spent 23 years as a helicopter pilot. You retired at the rank of commander in the U.S. Navy. What are some of the things that you remember most about that experience that mm -hmm. has left an indelible impression on your mind and maybe on your life? Probably it's helping you now as you teach and as you coach. But the things that you would remember the most that would help formulate your mindset, what are some of those things for you as you recall those 23 years as a Navy pilot? 
Yeah, such a thoughtful question, Andy. Thank you. And I'll be honest, some of those lessons are still unfolding. Like, I don't think I'm yeah. done making uh, meaning from the experience. I think that still um, shows up for me. So a couple of things that just surfaced as you're asking the question that I'm most present to right now. One would be belonging. Uh, I, told you, I told you that I never felt like I belonged in my, yes. you know, I went yeah. to the same school from first to 12th grade and with the same group of students primarily all the way through mm -hmm. and never felt like I belonged there. There were a lot of places in the military where I also felt like I didn't belong. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was in a, when I was in squadrons, when I was in operational squadrons or training squadrons with, with other pilots and we were working together and deploying together and performing these missions and, and flying these things and, and, and working together for these goals, I felt so at home there. So in a sense, it's the first time I can remember truly feeling like I belonged somewhere and uh, just being able to ca capture those feelings and to recognize what belonging feels like um, was was important to me. So that's one thing that surfaced. Mm -hmm. um, living an adventure was really, really important to me. Yeah. So just being able to go out and be around the world and see things and taste things and experience things and explore things and and also to do so um with at least some designated purpose and and i loved to fly right that was yeah. that was yeah. that was one thing that that five-year-old got right man i was a good fit for helicopters i loved to do it it brought me so much joy um so i can remember the joy and the adventure and the belonging those are things that stick out um but there's something else really important that i learned Mm -hmm. It's probably the most impactful thing in my life right now from that experience. And it was something about too much of a fun thing or too much mm -hmm. of an adventure because I had to make sense of, of my approach to the Navy. Cause we all have, you know, we all serve differently in the military. Yeah. Like we yeah. all have different motivations. We show up differently. Um, with within some parameters and for me it was the adventure it was the fun of it it was the excitement of it that really resonated with me and i was just chasing that like i couldn't even to the point where i would go out of my way to create it you know to create some sort of adventure beyond the adventure to go yeah. have yeah. excitement and fun and that that's great um and what i learned was that there was a belief system behind it, like a powerful belief system, a deeply embedded belief system that I couldn't even see. And that belief system was, if I have a big enough adventure, then I will feel complete, right? Wow. And that yeah. was what was driving me. And guess what? I never felt complete. I was just having great adventures and telling great stories and having fun. But that thing, that assumption that deep down I believed would happen never really did. So as I look back on my Navy experience, what I realize is, yeah, I'm so grateful for that experience. I'm so grateful for all the wonderful things that it, it provided me. And, and, I, and I believe that I also um, 
performed while I was there and brought value to the taxpayer and and worked hard and you know, all of those things. But the but what I learned was it's okay to slow down. It's okay to pause the adventure. And when I'm looking to feel complete for me, mm-hmm. there's a different way to do it than just this adventure. To me now, you know, based on the foundation of that experience, what I've learned, and, and by the way, this is through coaching. Like I'm, I am a professional coach, but I also hire coaches for me, right? Because I see the power of coaching every single day in the work that I do. And I want that in my life too, right? There's some, some change, there's some transformation that we just can't make on our own in a compressed period of time. And so when I'm inching, when I'm itching to grow and want to make those changes to further my impact, I hire a coach. So this, Mm -hmm. these things I'm telling you weren't just realizations that I came up with on my own. These were Mm -hmm. in many cases guided, but what I learned is the way the way I've learned to feel complete is through a deeper kind of service. Like the military service, we call it service and we're called service members, but there was a lot of me in that service too. And I have learned to serve others more deeply with more compassion, with more fidelity. Um, And that brings a sense of completeness. And I've learned to when I choose to to slow down and just to be with myself and to be a human being rather than a human doing and and to be okay and and some of my completeness mm-hmm. comes through that ability also so uh I did that did I answer your question Andy oh yeah you are being very holistic with your answer and I love the coaching aspect of it. I'm hearing it coming out of you loud and clear, and I appreciate it, Walt, because here's the thing. It is easy for some people to remember stuff that they have been through, but what you are doing is you are identifying and recognizing the significance of this stuff, and you are putting it in a place where people understand your experience, not just for the experience itself, but for the effect that it had on your life and still is having on your life. And you are growing with that. And that's wonderful. So yes, you have answered the question very well. I'm getting two things coming out of your answer. And I remember one of my coaching partners. The team is in life, always shoot for the stars. So never settle for being at a place where you want to feel that sense of completeness and tell yourself, I've reached, but always seek for something higher and better. And for her, it's the stars. And then you remind me of something that was said by Deepak Chopra. Hmm. He said, as human beings, we ought to realize and recognize that too many times we are doing things and we become human doings instead of just simply resting and relaxing and being. And he suggested take a walk outside, take the shoes off, your slippers off, your sandals, whatever it is. Go outside and be in one with nature, be in touch with the flora and the fauna and understand how all of that plays into the ecosystems that exist in our lives. And when he said that, it meant so much to me 
because I realized that most of the times, world, like you mentioned, we just want to do, but we don't want to be. And we miss sometimes the aha moments where we can just, I get it. So yes, you took me down that path and, mm -hmm. and I appreciate, I appreciate what you just said, Walt, really do. I want to focus on the term translifting. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Uh, translational lift. Translational lift. What is that exactly? I know that it's a technical term, but it's something that caused you to create a style of coaching that has been really successful for you. What's the correlation between the two? So it's, it's a metaphor that I'm deeply attached to. Um, I will, so I will say, full disclosure, if I was renaming my coaching company now, I'd probably just name it Walt Morgan Coaching, right? Because translational lift is a little bit esoteric, but for um, me, yeah. there's yeah. a deep connection. So what translational lift is, is when a helicopter is hovering, mm -hmm. it's being bombarded by its own, we'll, we'll call it disrupted air. Uh -huh. Right, the air surrounding the hel helicopter is really kind of violent because it's swirling underneath those rotor blades and off the rotor tips, and and it takes a lot more power to to be there because of that. And then, okay. it, as we transition to forward flight, then you really kind of feel this buffeting in the helicopter mm. and that's our own disrupted airflow kind of beating us up. Okay. And then once we outfly that at about 15 to 20 knots of airspeed, we leave that disruption behind us mm. and suddenly the entire crew can feel the smoothness of the clean air. And it feels smooth and all of a sudden there'll be a surge in power, even though yeah. we haven't changed the power, it's yeah. just the efficiency of moving into this, this, this cleanness, into this new mm. and fresh air that gives us that sensation of, of smooth and power. And not only does it really feel good, you know, you do it dozens of times a day to move through that translate, yeah. you know, even a hundred times a day to move through that translational lift into the smoothness and you can kind of feel it in your body. It's like, ah, oh, we're here. But yeah. sometimes there's some profound implications of it. You know, the first, first helicopter I flew in the Navy was the H 46, which is, is kind of like a, um, a Chinook. It's a smaller mm -hmm. version of a yeah. shipboard version of the Chinook with the two rotors loved that helicopter. It's just this wonderfully soulful thing to fly for me. Um, and it was terribly underpowered. Hmm. So there were times where getting through translational lift was a very kind of nuanced, delicate maneuver. If we were heavy in, in a hot place, that was translational lift was about survival. Like yeah. we had to kind of sneak, you know, we're skimming wave tops and trying to get into translational lift. And then we're there and there's that sense of relief and ability and capability and power and all these things that kind of come with you. We're yeah. like, okay, we escaped that one. And now, now we're in forward flight and we can go do what we're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Walt. I love the analogy. 
in light of that, what are some of the challenges that you experience when you deal with your, I don't know what you call them, clients, coaches, I call them coaching partners. Yeah. What are some of the basic things that you see that may have been maybe a pattern or a regular challenge that they come to you with? And you have to apply that same process that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. Help them to leave the difficulties behind and search for a smoother plane as far as their lives, their futures, their careers, their relationships are concerned. Yeah, it's not the difficulties that they're leaving behind. Uh -huh. It's their own disruptive belief systems okay. that they're leaving behind, right? Okay. The things, yeah. the, the disruptive airflow that they're creating mm -hmm. um, yeah. through their current way of being like, that's right. creating inefficiencies and discomfort for them. That's, that's what they're leaving behind. You know, you know, problem, you know, work and pain and challenges are, are a part of our life. And, yeah. and upon reflection, at least they're always a beautiful part of our life. Um, so I can't, I'm not going to help them escape that. That's a uh, constant. Yeah. Uh, what, what I help them with is how they show up for that. And, and you say, well, what's the theme? The, if there's any theme, Andy, it's that every human is facing something different. Mm -hmm. So there really is no theme. Like okay. The first conversation I have with a coaching partner, I really love your term on that. The first mm -hmm. conversation I have is about, hey, what is it that you would like to do better? Yeah. And they'll usually have kind of a superficial idea on that. And then we'll start going deeper and deeper onto what it really is. And then we'll get there. I'm like, oh, it sounds like you would like to, as an example, um, better recognize your own authentic voice and take action on it mm -hmm. so that you can lead with more confidence. Right. Or, or, you know, but the thing is, it's different for every single client and it's unique and deeply personal and true to them. And then the questions surround it, like what would be possible if you could achieve that? And why does that feel so important to you? And it, we just begin to create um, depth and richness to that thing they want to better be able to do and why it's so important and the insights emerge. That's the first conversation. And once a coaching partner says, yes, that's it. That's my topic. That is what I want to better be able to do. I want to create warmer relationships so that I can build effective strategic teams, whatever it is, right? But whatever it is, as soon as they say it, the entire coaching program shifts towards that outcome, right? Oh. That is going to be the work for the next six months or so. In six months, they will better be able to do that because over the course of six months, they will have illuminated the reason that's getting in the way and make a relationship with it. It's not a judgment thing. It's, it's usually yeah. a, oh, yeah, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. And that's why I behave that way. And that's how I'm checking for success. That's the way of being that they're starting with in that topic. And then in six months, they will have transcended that way of being moved into that that smooth and clear and clean air 
into a new way of being that serves them better and gives them more choice. And in that six months, they'll actually embody that new way of being. So there's not just something that they've practiced in their head and seen in their head, but it's something that actually resides and lives within them so that the behaviors and the feelings and the sensations around it are really quite natural and organic to them. Yeah, that's really deep, truly deep, Walt. But here's the thing that I love that you said. You spoke about the embodiment. Yes. And to me, unless the process, and I'm loosely calling it the process because the process could take any form or fashion. The thing about it is this. Transformation has to take place in order for them to enter into a realm where they can see the light, they can see the smoother aspect of the things that were foggy for them before. Mm -hmm. But as you rightly said, unless there's an embodiment of that and it becomes so real, it, it's like an injection into their DNA, so to speak, then the reality of it becomes something that organically, yeah. it is a part of their life and they can move on to the next level. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing, Walter. Okay. I want to share something with you, and it's kind of lighthearted. <laughs> so let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, I think I got it here. And I want you to tell me, when you see this, how does it make you feel? Yeah, yeah. so... I'll go with the feeling first. Um, it just, it, it makes me feel mm. it, there's, it makes me feel so it makes me feel connected. That's, that's the first word, but it makes me the, the complexity of that connection. It makes me feel connected all the way in and all the way out if that if that makes sense it's just yeah. yeah so yeah that's my family yep and i feel in that photo connected with them that that photo like that's true laughter that wasn't there's nothing posed about that photo photo yeah yeah and that's that was real for us so i felt connected to my family i felt connected to myself i felt all those things inward in that moment. And then look where we are. We're on the mm. Pacific Ocean in this beautiful, on this, on this beautiful planet that we're so much a part of, right? Yeah. I'm part of my family. I'm standing with my feet on the earth. I'm surrounded mm -hmm. by life yes. that I can't even see. Yes. And the sunshine which reflects, if I can get a little woo-woo with you, that sunshine is, is, is sharing the energy from the very origins of our 13.7 billion year old universe. And it's coming down and creating the life around me. And when I just breathe and take a moment, I can feel a million touch points with every single piece of that. But it started with that foundation of joy with my family. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Appreciate it, Walt. Yeah, thank so you. in terms of the work you do, other than coaching, mm -hmm. um, well, 
I'm looking at one of the teams here with regards to the titles on your profile, and I see choosing to coach without artificial intelligence. I want to I want to oh, yeah. touch on that a bit because we have a situation where I was speaking with one of my associates, and he's telling me that right now Amazon is looking to cut down on the influx of artificial intelligence in the creativity process that yes. people are doing to bring publications to them and stuff. And I'm thinking, in terms of coaching, why do some people believe that we need so much help from AI when at the end of the day, it's more, so much more of a deep human experience that goes way beyond AI and AI could not have existed without the human experience in the first place. Yes. I know how you see it, Paul, but what's the philosophy behind it that people seem to gravitate so much to the AI and kind of want to run away from that basic human feeling? Yeah. Do I remember correctly, Andy, that this is a three and a half hour uh, podcast because there's a, there is so much there. So, yeah. So obviously I have, I've, I branded myself very intentionally as an AI free coach, which means that in any of my communications that I share in any posts that I write in any programs, because it takes me four to five hours to build a program for an individual, one individual human. Like after that, between that first and second conversation, I'll spend four or five hours building a program, which I'll then just offer to them in the next conversation and they may reject it entirely. And I'll be like, okay, but it's, it's a creative process. Um, and, and none of it, and, and I don't engage AI in any of that process. It's just all my work. Um, and so there, so if I can break it down into what coaching is, um, it's a creative process. I mean, that's how, that is how ICF, um, the International Coaching Federation, defines mm -hmm. coaching is, yeah. is as a creative process. Well, to your mm -hmm. point, generative AI, even generative AI is a very predictive process based mm -hmm. on something existent, existing. So it's not inherently creative. And sometimes, as I mentioned, I also teach leadership at the University of Colorado. Sometimes right. as I have these conversations with my students around generative AI, they will say, well, they just, it just shows up as a creative partner to help me start my creative thoughts. And I'm like, that's okay. By the way, I'm not opposed to AI. It's inevitable and it's going to change things. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm talking about is the role of AI in human development and leadership mm -hmm. development and coaching and transformation. That's the realm specifically that I'm talking in. So my students will say, well, it's a creative, you know, it's a creative assist. I'm like, but that's where the beauty is, is in that, is in that creative pause where we can't figure it out, where we have to sit in this space of like, I don't know, this is hard. Like, I don't know where to go from here. And, you know, writers call it writer's block, but my students call it an inconvenience, whatever it is, that's an important space. 
And I don't think there's a lot of value in jumping past that creative pause by bringing in an assistant that reflects somebody else's ideas. That's a deeply personal space that belongs to us. Mm -hmm. And that's where our truth begins to emerge. So that's, that's kind of my initial re reaction, but coaching itself is like, let's, let's take a moment here if we can and just take a breath and appreciate this conversation that we're having in yep. these thoughtful questions that you're asking and this, this, now, there's nothing scripted about this conversation. It's just unfolding before us. And as I do that, I feel our connection like in, in my body. Like we're doing this on Zoom. You're in the Caribbean. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. And I can still feel connected in my body, in my chest. Kind of there's a little swelling there. Mm -hmm. And it resides between my shoulders. Yeah. That's a human thing. That's something that humans can create through this like magical human, uniquely human connection. And it's a beautiful thing. And in my observation and experience, it's the foundation of coaching. Yeah. Coaching doesn't happen unless we're in that space of, of, of trust and partnership and exploration and curiosity and then you can almost feel this like this bubble emerge around these coaching partners right and as we as we as, as we lean into that work and into that growth so it's hard for me to imagine coaching happening without the foundation of that human connection and spirit so that's important for me the other thing, but here's the, here's the challenge, Andy, is right now coaching lies in the realm of those that can afford it. Mm -hmm. So it creates this gap between the haves and the have nots. And I would say really, really quickly, like I'll try to say, express this in, in 45 seconds or less. Um, I know how, I know what enough money is for me and my business, right? And once I make that money, even before I make that money, I start turning my focus to reduced fee coaching and to pro bono coaching, right? Because I'm not monetarily driven so much. As long as I have enough, right? I'm not monetarily driven. I'm impact driven. So I make my money. It's a business. But what I'm really concerned about is the impact that I can create through others with my coaching. So um, that's, um, that's kind of my own personal statement around accessibility of coaching. There is this idea that generative AI can make coaching more affordable and more accessible. And that part of the idea is attractive to me. I th think the way I get around that is I prefer to call it um, like, AI guided reflection, right? I think AI can be really useful in guiding reflection, but I'm reluctant to call it coaching, right? I, I, I don't think, I think it's, I think it can be really useful 
in in helping us make sense of things and creating clarity around things. Yeah. But in this idea of transformational change, of embodied change, um, I'm I'm just going to keep on coaching without the assistance yeah. of AI. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you remind me of an explanation that Dr. Deepak Chopra did again. I, I must recognize and give him his kudos. He spoke fondly and deeply about the connection that we have as individuals when we speak on the same level and that thing that is innately embedded within us becomes like one and you feel it in your body, you can identify it. And he describes it as symbiotic resonance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I recognize that it's so powerful and I cannot see the possibility of anything artificially taking the place of that ever. Yeah. Because it is human to human, full stop. He also said something about writers talking about writer's block. I write, I write a lot. I write almost every day, but I never considered that when there seems to be a cease in the inspiration or the ideas coming that it's a block, I see it as an opportunity to stop, yeah. reflect on what I've already written. And if I need to leave that place, just change the atmosphere, get to a place where I can refresh my mind. And when I come again, I start from zero. So every time I do that, I start from zero. Every time it's zero all over again. So I never consider the absence of inspiration or ideas as a block, but rather as an opportunity to go to a next place. And sometimes the ideas are even more enticing because they lead you into places where you probably had never thought of before. But as you give yourself time and the brain rests and relaxes, it's the opportunity for it to open up to so much more possibilities. Yes. And that's your authenticity. That's your truth. Yeah. Like what is it, what shortcuts are we willing to take to yeah. bypass our own selves? And what are we willing to outsource? Are we willing to outsource our, 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 essence are we willing to outsource our authenticity you know and and that's what i hear you sharing right when we bump up against something what a beautiful opportunity to pause and to sit in that yeah. with faith yeah. that faith that something will emerge and the thing that will emerge is the right thing you, know, you yeah. talked about these goals earlier and the stars and all that and i Goals are great, and I'm also a big fan of listening to the unfolding and listening to the call and listening to what it is. You know, when I retired from the Navy, the least likely thing in the world was for me to go and become <laughs> an integral coach, right? There's no pathway for that. I'm supposed to be flying in the airlines right now, yeah. and I'm not because I was listening and, and followed what I heard I was supposed to be doing and responded to that. And when we take those shortcuts, it doesn't allow for the, for that pause for us to, to really apply our talents and our gifts yeah. in the way 
that that we that creates our 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 most important impact through our lives yeah thank you for sharing walt i i have a, a simple theory on this and i see myself personally as a servant to the gifts that i've been given some people say it's the universe. I say it's God. That's my personal belief. And I always feel that I owe him a great ROI on the investment that he made by placing those gifts upon me. Because I recognize out of almost 8 billion persons on the planet, I was chosen. And that's important to me. That's special to me. And so I feel as though that when I come to the understanding that what I was blessed with is not for me, I mean, I can benefit from it in many ways, but at the end of the day, if that benefit remains in a place where I'm ungrateful for, and the humility is taken out, the value is lost. And so I think that we have to understand that we have been blessed with enough to become a slave to it to understand that we are here for a purpose that is not self-aligned, but it's holistically the line, aligned rather, for the rest of the world. And that what we share with them is something that the creator of the universe holds us responsible for. And therefore, I think that is where comes the return on investment. The universe, God made an investment by putting every one of us here. That's just how I see it, you know, and I think it resonates with you. I want to share something with you. It's a comment. Um, Loretta Packett is on and she's sending love and she shows her heart and she says, good afternoon, guys. It's nice to be on. Just thought I'd share it with you all. So we just came to the end of the official time period and I would like to give Walt the time now to share his information and how you can reach him, how you can get his services, get his professional expertise with regards to coaching. And the other thing is that he is so blessed to do. Walt? Yeah. No, thank you for creating that space to do that also. Uh, um, I'd say for your audience, I just give out my email. You can reach uh, out to me. Mm -hmm. um, my email address is Walt, W-A-L-T, just like you see on the screen, Walt at tliftcoaching.com. So that's T-L-I-F-T-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G, tliftcoaching.com. Um, and if you would, and you can visit my website if you want to um, start there. And there's also a contact function there. And that's uh, just tliftcoaching.com. Uh, is my is my website and um if there's any if there's a conversation that you want to have around leadership or transformation or integral coaching um or coaching in higher education we didn't get into that but that is my project and my passion right now is bringing leadership coaching to college students i'm very engaged in that in the moment if you want to have any of those conversations um or if there's any way i can serve you or support you in your own personal professional or leadership journey um, please let me know. I'm happy to have that conversation I'm, and I'm happy to support you in any way I can. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Walt. So there you have it, folks. This is Andy of Andy's Personal Development together with our guest, Walt Morgan. 
saying, please remember how important your story is and your life is. Cherish every moment that you have. Remember our three watchwords. They are health, happiness, and prosperity. And we all are here to be beneficiaries of those virtual qualities of life. No segregation, no bias, no biasness. We're all here for that purpose. So until next time, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development together with our guest, Walt Morgan saying so long, God bless, namaste people. Bye for now, until next time.